Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the burdens of our lives. You know the distractions. You know our sin and our blindness. We pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. May your spirit give us conviction and comfort and belief. Help us to see who you truly are. And help us to grow in our belief and commitment to Jesus as we consider his death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are now in the second week of Advent, celebrating the birth of Jesus and what that birth signifies. And yet instead of being in a traditional birth narrative, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. And so instead of being in the maternity ward Near a manger, we are at the foot of the cross and at the funeral of Jesus. And yet, there's something fascinating in our passage this morning that connects his burial with his birth. We have Joseph of Arimathea with the dead body of Jesus, wrapping him in linen cloths along with Nicodemus. There was another Joseph at the beginning of Jesus' life. And Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths. And at the birth of Jesus, the wise men brought him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And now here at the death of Jesus, 
He is buried with aloes and myrrh. And this is definitely more than just a coincidence. This link reminds us that Jesus' whole life was part of a bigger plan. From humble beginnings to the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was born to die. And this morning we're going to consider two things. The death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus. And the main point, what I hope you see in the text, what I hope you take from this sermon is that our belief and commitment to Jesus deepens as we consider his death. Our belief and commitment to Jesus deepens as we consider his death. John tells us in verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus has died and he has done this willingly. He he gave up his life. He laid it down. And it says here that he gave up his spirit. And then in verse 31, John writes, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So when we read here that it was the day of preparation, we should understand that it was Friday. And it was the day before the Jewish Sabbath. We now celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Sunday is the Lord's day. But in the Old Covenant, the Jews celebrated the Sabbath on Saturday. And so now it is Friday, the day before the Sabbath, and not some ordinary Sabbath. John notes that the coming Sabbath was a high day. It was an extra special Sabbath. And and so these Jews go to Pilate and they ask him to give this order to break the legs of those who were just crucified. And they ask for this because of their law. Because of what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hangman is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And so the hypocrisy of the Jews continues. They're willing to have an innocent man killed. And not only some innocent man, their Messiah, whom they cannot see. But they're willing to have this innocent man killed while at the same time being so concerned about keeping the law. So you have the Holy One, Jesus, nailed to the cross. The only one who wasn't unclean. Think about it. If we were hanging on the cross, we would make the land unclean because we are unclean. But Jesus is the Holy One and he is hanging on the tree because of our sin. And yet the Jews and their hypocrisy were concerned about defiling the Sabbath. And so they go to Pilate and they ask him to have the legs of these men broken. 
Why their legs? Well, the breaking of the legs of those who were crucified sped up their deaths. On Roman crosses, there was this wedge underneath the feet of those who were crucified, which would allow them to push up and be able to breathe. And yet that was not an act of kindness from the Romans. It was actually meant to prolong the life of the person who was crucified so that they would suffer longer. And here, the Jews demand that these men have their legs broken so that they would suffocate to death and that they would be taken off the crosses and buried so that they would not defile the land. And yet the hearts of these Jews are way more defiled. All throughout John's gospel, we have this theme of witness that comes up. And again, here in these verses, we have witnesses to the death of Jesus. And the first witnesses that John presents to us are the soldiers. Evidently, Pilate gave this order, and we read in verse 32, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And so apparently these soldiers began working from the outside in, and and as they get to Jesus, they find him already dead. Now, we, we don't know why Jesus died so quickly. Maybe it was because of the extreme spiritual suffering that he went through, burying our sins on the cross, taking God's wrath upon himself. Maybe it was because of the double floggings he experienced before going to the cross. We don't know. But the point that John is making here is that Jesus actually died. The point is that the soldiers knew that he was dead. If you think about it, these men were trained professionals to take away human life. They knew the difference between someone being alive And someone being dead. And they did not break his legs. Because when they saw him, they saw him as a dead man. They were witnesses to the death of Jesus. And now John is is probably writing his gospel as an older man. And as he's writing this, there was this heretical teaching that had sprung up called docetism which denied that Jesus was actually human. This false teaching said that Jesus only looked like a man. He didn't really die on the cross. It just seemed that way. And so John, in all of these details, testifies to the fact that Jesus really and truly died in the flesh. He took on flesh for the purpose of dying for sinful human beings. He was born to die. The baby in a manger was born to save his people from their sins through his death. And the death of Jesus matters because if he did not die, there would be no forgiveness for our sins. And if he did not truly die, then he doesn't truly raise from the dead. And these soldiers don't break his legs 
because they saw him hanging dead on the cross. And yet John tells us really why the soldiers did not break the legs of Jesus. Look at verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. John is pointing his readers back to Exodus chapter 12, which is about the Passover lamb. Remember, the Lord gives his people all these instructions on how to prepare the lamb. And and when they killed it, they were to to wipe it over their doorposts and, and spread it all over the lintel of the house. And then when the angel of death came, wherever he would see the blood, he would pass over that house and the people in that house would be spared. There are all these small details, like the lamb had to be a year old male and without blemish or spot. And one of those details was that not one of its bones should be broken. And John is pointing us to who Jesus is when he gives us this detail. that when the soldiers came to Jesus and saw that he was dead, they did not break his legs. This is what we see at the beginning of this gospel. That great declaration from John the Baptist when he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What John is helping us see here is that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. He is pointing us to Jesus and saying, this is the one who sheds his blood So that you and I don't fall under the judgment of God. Because when God sees the sacrificial lamb who has none of his bones broken, he will pass over us. We are sinners. And we deserve to die because of our sins. But Jesus has died in our place. John is asking us this morning, when you look at the cross, do you see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? When you read that not one of his bones was broken, do you acknowledge that this is the Lamb that you need? Not one of his bones were broken And yet his body was not left alone. We read in verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. Possibly to to make completely sure that, that Jesus was dead or because of just being a cruel soldier, one of the soldiers takes a spear and pierces Jesus' side. And remember, the scripture was fulfilled that not one of his bones was broken. Think about what is here. Your entire ribcage, bones. And so even when Jesus is dead, God is guiding that spear through the ribs of Jesus making sure that no 
bone was broken. And as the spear pierces Jesus' side, blood and water flow out. The pierced side of Jesus is very significant later on in this gospel. Remember, the the disciple Thomas doesn't believe. And Jesus tells him to put his hand in his side. And Jesus' side being pierced is also a fulfillment of scripture. John says in verse 37, and again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is clearly a reference to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says that they will look on him whom they have pierced. And then in Zechariah 13, verse one, it says, on that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. This is the fountain. At once there came out blood and water. The famous hymn writer, William Cowper, wrote about this fountain. We sing it. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Is there anything better than that? Is there any greater news than that? You could come to church and and I could give you some advice on self-improvement or how to have a better marriage but it will pale in comparison to knowing that there is a fountain. A fountain that you can plunge your filthy, sinful souls under and receive forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus' side was pierced and blood and water came out. Now why blood and water? John isn't trying to make some medical observation in giving us this detail. Uh, He isn't, as some suggest, trying to let us know that Jesus' heart was pierced and because the blood from the heart mingled with the fluid from the pericardial sac, it produced the flow of blood and water. And so some say that because of this, Jesus died of a broken heart. That's not how Jesus died, according to the Gospels. He died triumphantly. He did this willingly. This was his purpose. He laid down his life and he gave up his spirit. But John does give us this detail for a reason. Remember, there's so much symbolism in this Gospel. And in order to understand what John means when he tells us that the blood and the water came out, we need to consider what John has already said about these things. Now, blood is the easier one. Blood is a symbol that Christ, by his death, cleanses us from the guilt of sin. It's his blood that saves us from God's wrath. Christ has atoned for our sins by shedding his own blood. But what about the water? 
As we think about this gospel and water flowing from him, it's a picture, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit that comes to cleanse our sinful souls. Have you ever thought about all the references to water in John's gospel? Some have said that if you squeeze the gospel of John hard enough, water will come out of it. In chapter two, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Later on, Jesus meets a woman at a well. And he says to her, whoever will come to me will never thirst because I will give them living water. And at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter seven, Jesus stands up on the last day as the water is being poured out along the base of the altar. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John explains that Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit who would come and cleanse. And then in the upper room, Jesus pours water into a basin and he washes his disciples' feet, pointing to the cleansing that will come as he sacrifices himself on the cross. And now here at the end of this gospel, when blood and water are flowing out of Jesus' side, I think we're meant to think about what Jesus has said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me will receive the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that John could be pointing to is when Israel was wandering in the wilderness and they were complaining against God. In Exodus chapter 17, and God provides for them all that they need. Right? He, he turns the bitter water into sweet water. He gives them manna from heaven. And then he gives them water from a rock. And remember what Moses has to do. The Lord says, I'm going to stand on the rock and I want you to strike the rock. And what God is saying to Moses, I want you to strike me. God says, when I am struck with the rod of justice, for the sin of my people who have been complaining and grumbling. When I am struck, water is going to flow out of this rock. What happens to Jesus when he is struck with the rod of God's justice at the cross? Friends, we are thirsting. We are thirsting after so many things that cannot satisfy our souls. We're seeking to satisfy ourselves with things that we know won't satisfy. And yet we keep doing it. And Jesus says, as we look at the cross and we consider what he has done, he is saying to us, come and drink Come and be washed 
Come and be satisfied. This is the purpose of the death of Jesus. To save us from our sins. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Passover Lamb. And to satisfy and cleanse us and give us the Holy Spirit. This is what John wants us to see. Look at verse 35. He says, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. See, the soldiers were witnesses to the death of Jesus. John is bearing witness to this now. He is saying, I'm telling the truth. I was there. I saw it. And and for this purpose, I am saying all these things. That you also may believe. These things were foretold. They were declared long before they ever happened. And John makes the point to point out these fulfillments of Scripture to testify to the death of Jesus. Why? So that we might believe. To see that Jesus' death was not man's idea. It was God's idea. His death happened in order to fulfill what happened long ago. What had been written. John writes us that we would see that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who offers forgiveness, who offers cleansing to all who come to him. We see the death of Jesus in this passage. We also see the burial of Jesus. Out of the darkness, two more witnesses appear and something significant happens. Look at verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. We don't know much about Joseph of Arimathea. I should know, don't know much about Arimathea. All four gospels mention that he was the one who went to Pilate and he asked for permission to take Jesus' body off the cross and give him a proper burial. Luke describes Joseph as a good and righteous man who had not consented to the decision to crucify Jesus. Mark says that he was a religious leader and that he was looking for the kingdom of God. And Matthew and John both say that he was a disciple of Jesus. And yet John adds that he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. And so what John seems to be saying about Joseph is that he believed in Jesus, and yet he didn't tell anyone. Back in John 12, it said that many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That was probably true of Joseph. 
And yet here we see him publicly identify with Christ. As he goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus, this was a bold and dangerous move. And then Pilate grants him permission. And Joseph is not the only one who peers out of the shadows. Look at verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus, we know this guy. Remember, he showed up back in John chapter 3, where he came to Jesus by night and asked Jesus questions. And even though Jesus spoke to him about being born again and about him being lifted up, and that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, Nicodemus disappeared back into the night. Yet Nicodemus reappears again in, in John chapter 7, where he sort of defends Jesus. He says, does our law judge a man without giving him first a hearing and learning what he does? And yet he had still not shown himself to be a true disciple of Jesus. But now, now we see a new Nicodemus. While earlier he had come to Jesus by night, here we have Nicodemus stepping out of the darkness into the light. And he is helping Joseph take the body of Jesus. They had decided that Jesus deserved a decent burial, no matter what it cost them. About a quarter of a million people lined up along the streets for Queen Elizabeth II's funeral in 2022. So you can make the argument that this was one of the most important funerals of our time. But here, we have the most important funeral that ever took place in the history of the world. And notice that Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. That's a lot of spices that definitely cost a lot of money. This is the kind of thing that you would do for a king. And so these men honor Jesus here like he was their king. Jesus receives a king's burial. Look at verse 40. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They quickly prepared the body of Jesus for burial and they laid him in a new tomb that was located in a garden. Jesus begins his suffering in a garden. And now John says that he was crucified in a garden and then buried in a garden. His entire work of salvation was done in a garden. In a garden, man fell. And in a garden, man was redeemed. And yet now for a moment, I want you to think about these men, Joseph and Nicodemus. Something happened to them and in them 
Secret disciples go public. Just want you to know a secret disciple is not a good thing. When you think about those times where you should have shared the gospel and then you didn't. We're being just like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Jesus expects his disciples to publicly identify with him. He has said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. A secret disciple is not a good thing. That's not where we want to be. But do you see what happens here at the foot of the cross? As these men consider the death of Jesus, the secret disciple, the cowardly disciple, is now being made a bold disciple, a committed disciple. I don't know about you, but I want to be more bolder for Jesus than ever. Because if you think about it, the only thing that really matters is knowing him and living for him and telling others about him. Here, Joseph, the secret disciple, and Nicodemus, the guy who was afraid to tell his religious buddies that he was even talking to Jesus. These two men prove to be followers of Jesus. I'm not sure if you've thought about this, but these two religious men are handling the dead, bloodied body of Jesus. They take the linen cloths and they wrap his nail-pierced hands and they cover his lacerated back. They were willing to render themselves ritually unclean according to the law of Moses, which said that you were considered unclean for touching a dead body. And so they disqualified themselves for the Passover celebrations that were going on. These two men bear living testimony to the power of the cross. The power of the cross that can turn the hearts of sinners toward the Savior. They were changed by what they saw at the cross. As they considered the death of Jesus, they became committed to him. John Calvin wrote this. Here we have a striking proof that Jesus' death was more quickening than his life. And so great was the efficacy of that sweet savor which the death of Christ conveyed to the minds of those two men that it quickly extinguished all the passions belonging to the flesh. The sight of his death, the fact of his death changed everything for them. And John hopes that you might look to Jesus and trust in him 
And if you already believe and trust in Jesus, that you would go deeper in your commitment to him. If you have been secret or timid in your allegiance to Jesus, you need to consider his death, what he has done for you. It is sin to hide our allegiance to Jesus. But it's not unforgivable. And so it's important that we repent of being ashamed or afraid. And it's important that we ask the Lord to give us courage to be known as Jesus' disciples. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is in Christ's death that we see God's love. He died for you. He paid the price for your sin. He went to the cross for your salvation. Jesus came to die. He came to die so that through his death, he might put death to death. Death is the penalty for sinners. And death is required for atonement. And so if Jesus had not died, we would have no assurance. But the scriptures were fulfilled. And his burial proved that he truly died. Why do we believe that Jesus is the redeemer? Why do we believe that he is the long promised Messiah? Because the Old Testament prophesied all these things about him. And they came true. Exodus 12, Deuteronomy 21. I didn't mention it today, but Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 13. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who offers forgiveness and cleansing to all who come to him. None of his bones were broken. And he was pierced for us. And out came blood and water. And that great hymn, Rock of Ages, says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. The death of Jesus provides the double cure. Forgiveness and cleansing. And the right response is to believe and to commit ourselves to following him. Our belief and commitment to Jesus deepens as we consider his death. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we conclude our time in your word, we are grateful for the truth you revealed to us through John's gospel. 
We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross where he bore our sins. We thank you that he was wounded for our transgressions and pierced for our iniquities. We thank you that there is a fountain open for us for forgiveness and cleansing. Help us to see these things. Give us grace to cry out to you for the water and the blood, for the washing of guilt and the cleansing of our sin. Help us to feel our need for these things. And as we consider the death of Jesus, help us to believe and commit ourselves to him, to know him, to live for him, and to tell others about him. In Jesus' name, amen.